Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. Can you believe, y'all, the month is almost over? February is such an important month, but it's such a short month as well. So these last few days of the month, let's make sure to celebrate them. So make sure that your kids know the importance of Black History Month and also make sure to incorporate some healthy lifestyle changes into your life in celebration of Heart Health Month. Now, I know that this month I've been reminding you guys and last month about uh, Valentine's Day and to make sure you buy your significant other a Valentine's Day gift and that this is not just a holiday for the women. So ladies, did you actually buy a gift for your significant other? And I know that there are a couple of my staff that have told me they listened to the podcast and they went out and bought their husbands a gift. So shout out to you guys. I want to embarrass you this week, but uh, I'm really proud of you guys for making sure you stuck to it and you are extra romantic. So let me know about what your spouse did for you or what you did for your spouse for Valentine's Day this year. Okay, so this week, some of you have had to deal with uh, receiving some surprising and some not so positive news about your pregnancy. And you've been asking me several questions about it. So I figured that we should talk about it and how to approach when you get such news. Like, what do you do when somebody tells you that something's wrong? So first, realize that there are several times in the pregnancy when you might get said news about your pregnancy. And second, realize that just because somebody has told you that they don't know something or that something is not as perfect as you think it should be, it doesn't necessarily mean that is abnormal. I feel like somebody needed to hear that in their spirit. Just because you have to have follow-up somewhere or just because somebody's told you there's something, something, little bitty thing going on does not mean that it is necessarily abnormal, okay? But overall, you may get some surprises at certain points of your pregnancy. So I want you to be prepared, especially if you're early in your pregnancy, this is what you should be prepared for. So after you get lab work done, so you get lab work in the first trimester, you get all of your first trimester lab, you get your blood count, you get your complete metabolic profile that gives you your liver function and your kidney function and checks your electrolytes. You're going to get your thyroid test with your first labs. You're going to get your pap smear with your first labs. You're going to do a breast exam. So if you have anything that's abnormal with those first trimester labs, then 
you will get those results about one to two weeks later. Okay. Sometimes it can be something as little as, hey, you're anemic and you need to start taking iron supplements. Sometimes it can be a little bit more complicated. Like, hey, I feel a lump in your breast here. You need to go get a mammogram. Okay. Or a breast ultrasound. Just what I would say is every result that needs a follow-up doesn't necessarily mean something's abnormal. There are thousands of women that I thought, okay, there's something that I'm feeling in your breast. Maybe you need a breast ultrasound and it's turned out to be completely normal. So I don't want you to jump to conclusion that anything is abnormal just because we say we need to do a study. Okay. A study is a study. We're studying it to see if there's something going on, not because we know something is going on. Okay. So we get those first results one or two weeks afterwards. Then the most common time to get some results that are not so good sometimes, or maybe a little confusing, is at the time of your anatomic survey or your anatomy scan. If you are low risk, uh, meaning you are under age 35, if you have one baby, under age 33, if you have two babies, then you will get your anatomy scan in your OBGYN's office. Now, if you have obesity, like I do, meaning you have a higher BMI, you got a little booty-liciousness going on there, um, even if you look good, that doesn't mean you're not obese. I mean, people think of that as a slander, right? You say, oh, well, you're here because you're obese. Oh, my God. I can't believe you said the word obese. Calm down, people. Okay, it's just a number. But it does mean that with more adipose tissue or fat cells, it makes it harder for us to be able to see. So you do need a higher risk, higher resolution ultrasound so that we can diagnose anomalies in your baby. Okay, if you're over 35, people over 35 have an increased risk of having babies with structural malformations. So do people under age 19. So they're considered high risk as well. People that have a history of diabetes, high blood pressure, or any autoimmune condition, you're considered slightly at higher risk for having a baby with structural defects, okay? Like a heart defect or a brain defect. And so you need a high risk scan with somebody like me, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, AKA a perinatologist. We're the same thing. People are like, oh, I went to the perinatologist. Do I see a maternal fetal medicine specialist too? Those are the same thing, if nobody's ever told you that, okay? So if you're high risk, you get your anatomy scan at 18 to 20 weeks with somebody like me, a high risk specialist. If you're low risk, you're gonna get it done in your OB's office most of the time. Now, some OBGYNs send everybody to the high risk specialist to get your ultrasound. So I don't want you to be alarmed just because you're going to get anatomy scan there and you're going to high risk uh, provider. I see a lot of low risk people too, just to double check things. If you're low risk and your OBGYN can't see everything during your anatomy scan, okay, or if they see something they think may be abnormal, then you refer to somebody like me, okay? Now, let me tell you, most of the time when people are referred to me, everything ends up being completely normal, okay? So nine times out of 10, I'm giving good news during the day, but Sometimes I have to give not so good news, but I say that it's more often it is normal. So breathe a little bit before you come in there. Some people go to the perinatologist and they are already crying before they walk in the office. And we're like, what's going on? And they're just nervous about being there. Their blood pressure is high. Their pulse rate is high. And they're just overly nervous. Please don't let this be you. Because like I say, 
most of the time we're giving very, very normal results to you, okay? If an abnormality is found, if it's found, most of these abnormalities, if they're there, are still not life-threatening and can be surgically corrected. Rarely, very rarely, there are times when I diagnose a serious structural defect that may impact survivability, okay? And in these situations, usually the OBGYN has told you that they think something is seriously going on with your baby so that you're not in a state of shock when you come to the perinatologist's office. Now, there's sometimes that people that are being sent that are low risk and we end up seeing and finding things uh, that weren't seen previously because we're doing that low risk screen for them. So I'm not saying that every time if there's something serious, you would have known about it before. But most of the time, if your OB has scanned you already, they will have told you if something was was really, really wrong. Okay, they may not tell you about subtle things, but if something was really wrong, if it's going to require something surgical, if they really don't know what's going on, they're usually very transparent about that and say, hey, listen, I really don't know what's going on, but I'm concerned about X. Okay, so you can know exactly what they're concerned about. And if you don't know that, I always encourage people, ask why am I being sent down here? Okay. I'm getting called a call from the perinatologist's office to schedule me. Call your OB and say, hey, before I schedule this, I'm, at, I'm being told that I have to come and see them. But why? Am I just going down there for a routine anatomy scan? Or was there something you were really concerned about before? So make sure your OBGYNs do tell you exactly why you're being sent to the maternal fetal medicine uh, specialist. Is a profile because I'm 35? but everything looks normal? Or did you see something you did not tell me about? And now I'm being followed up for something that was abnormal. So make sure you ask those kinds of questions, okay? Now, I talk about this because I really, really want people to know. And if you haven't gotten anything from this part of the show is most of the time, I am the person that's telling people that everything's okay whether that's a normal variant of some something your OBGYN is seeing or me clearing things that were not seen in your OBGYN's office. Most of the time, coming to an MFM will check the boxes off that your OB could not check off. So you're not always sent to a, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, aka a perinatologist, just because something is abnormal. You could also get abnormal news if you're normal at the 20 weeks, once you hit the time of the glucose challenge at 28 weeks, this is, again, one of the most common times you get bad news. Now, don't we hate that glucola? You either have to drink the tang, the orange flavor, or you drink the red flavor, which is the berry flavor, 50 gram glucose load, and then an hour later, they check your finger stick, okay, or draw your blood so they can get your glucose level. Your finger stick should be less than 140 on a one-hour test. And if you fail it, meaning you're above 140, they'll make you do what's called a three-hour glucose tolerance test. So if you fail the three-hour glucose tolerance test with two values over three abnormal, then technically you have gestational diabetes. Now recognize if you are diagnosed with gestational diabetes, it's not your fault, mom. It's not your fault. Gestational diabetes is caused by a state of insulin resistance due to hormones secreted from the placenta, okay? And you will be sent either to somebody like me, a maternal fetal medicine specialist, 
or an endocrinologist that manages diabetes in and out of pregnancy for further control of your glycemic index and your glucose levels, okay? This is not uncommon. Don't let this be the end of the world just because you have to give yourself some finger sticks. Remember, this is very temporary. It's particularly with gestational diabetes. And we just, at some point, just have to do what we have to do to keep the baby safe and get you safely through the pregnancy. And that may mean you're inconvenienced just a tad bit. And you have to check your finger stick a couple of times a day. Well, that's okay. You can do anything temporarily. So let's not that di- let's not let that diagnosis be the end of the world and ruin your whole pregnancy. Now, the third trimester, you might get news that your little baby bump is smaller than normal. Okay, which could indicate a small baby. Stay calm. You'll be sent for an ultrasound either through your OBGYN's office or through me, the maternal fetal medicine specialist, for further evaluation. Know that although small babies have a higher chance of needing earlier deliveries and rarely sometimes even stillbirth, with close monitoring, you can get to full term, which is 37 weeks and up, or a safe place in the pregnancy to be delivered most of the time, okay? Sometimes if we see abnormal blood flow from the placenta to the baby, that's indicative of a baby being in danger. And if we see a baby in danger because the tracing or the heart tones, heartbeats abnormal, or we start to see abnormal blood flow when we do the ultrasound, then we have no choice. We have to deliver you to prevent a stillbirth. But that's why we monitor you closely, mom. We monitor you to make sure we can intervene at the right time so that we then don't have any issues with stillbirth later on in the pregnancy. So if somebody says the baby is small and the blood flow through the umbilical cord is abnormal, meaning there's episodes of absent or no flow, then that really does mean that you need to make sure that you have steroids. They should have given you two doses, 24 hours apart to accelerate lung maturity on the baby if you have not already had the steroids and then move to delivery pretty urgently. If somebody is telling you that the blood flow through the umbilical cord is abnormal in a small baby, they should be keeping you on the monitor until the baby is delivered, okay? Because of that increased risk that you have a poor outcome or a stillbirth. Now, most of the time, if you have a small baby, you're going to come frequently. You're gonna see us once or twice a week, depending on how your OBGYN wants to schedule testing and nothing will happen to the baby, okay? It's that 10% of the time where the baby is in danger that we're monitoring for. So that means 90% of the time, you just have a small baby to be small and nothing ever happens. But this is not the episode to give you an excuse to not come. Because remember, I said that we are monitoring you for that small chance. And we'd rather you be monitored and be safe and us know when the optimal time is to deliver you than just assume that it's going to be normal. All right. So now that you know a little bit more about what to expect when you get bad news and how to handle it, let's go to some cases. Our first case is a 36-year-old who was 22 weeks pregnant with her first child. During her anatomy ultrasound, she received news that her baby's kidneys were abnormal. She was told that there's a little more fluid than normal inside the kidney. She was told that everything else looked normal, but was referred to a high-risk OBGYN for further evaluation. She would like to know what to expect during her visit. Okay, so this sounds like a case where you have a baby that has what's called upper urinary tract dilation. And we abbreviate that as UTD slash A1 
or UTD slash A2 to 3. Okay. UTD just stands for upper urinary tract dilation. Okay. So upper urinary tract dilation. A1 is when we only have dilation of the renal pelvis or aka pylectasis, what which is what your baby gets. So the kidneys filter blood. Blood or, or filters meaning it cleans it. Okay. We have to have clean blood running through our veins. So it's gonna filter any waste out of the blood, any toxins, okay? And then the waste from the blood is urine. The urine collects in the pelvis or the middle portion of the kidney before it drains through the little tubes called the ureters and then down to the bladder. And then when the baby pees, that urine is going to go through the urethra and it is into the amniotic fluid. So baby pee is just amniotic fluid and the fluid the placenta makes. Okay. Now, because people that are diabetic, diabetes, have diabetes, there uh, there's glute transporters uh, on the placenta, meaning there are areas on the placenta or the afterbirth where glucose just sort of skates across there. That means the placenta is working overtime to get it across, which means the placenta is all also making a lot of fluid. The placenta makes fluid and then the baby swallows it and pees it out. So it's a combination of what the placenta makes and baby pees. So that's the point of me having that long, far-fledged story to, to let you know the importance of the placenta and how fluid gets there. Okay. If the kidneys are functioning, you have fluid around the baby. If the kidneys are, are not functioning, then the fluid around the baby will be very, very low. Even with the placenta still making some, it's still more so depending on that swallowing pee mechanism than what the placenta makes. So with you having normal fluid around the baby, because you said no other abnormalities and only dilation of the kidneys, then this seems to be isolated and it seems that the kidneys are still functioning. So what you should expect is that you will be sent to a high-risk specialist. The very first thing they're going to do is they'll triage you. You'll check in, you'll get triaged, meaning they'll go, they'll check your vitals, your blood pressure, your heart rate. They'll check your temperature and your pulse. And then you'll move from that area to your medical assistant checking your past medical history, surgical history, your obstetrical history to make sure that we know about any other complications I've had in the past. And then the first major step in that appointment is you're going to get an ultrasound. That ultrasound is going to be long. It's going to take like 45 minutes. We're going to look at the baby from head to toe to see if we agree with the pylectasis or the urinary tract dilation. Sometimes it resolves before you have your visit a few weeks later with the maternal fetal medicine specialist. And if it does, that's great. But if it's still persistently there, then we'll, you can anticipate being brought back at a later time during the pregnancy so they can reevaluate the kidneys again. As long as the fluid is normal, that's what they'll be monitoring. The size of the kidneys, the size of where that urine collects in the kidneys, as well as the fluid around the baby. As long as you have normal fluid around the baby, you would not need to be delivered any earlier than full term. So you can still go all the way to 39 weeks, even if you had very a baby with very, very large kidneys, as long as the fluid around the baby is normal. Now, let's say that when you got there, the fluid around the baby is not normal. It's very low. That would mean that you may need to be delivered a little bit earlier. They will do monitoring on the baby once you're in the third trimester every single week, and they will check the growth about every couple of weeks, every three to four weeks or so. They'll check the growth of the baby and will also reassess 
the kidneys of the baby to see if they're getting better or if they're getting worse. You can anticipate if the pelvis is more than seven millimeters, which is the cutoff in the third trimester of size, then you will need to be seen, your baby will need to be seen by a specialist, okay, called a urologist to help evaluate function of the kidneys, okay? If it's less than that, then they'll just screen the baby one more time after delivery to make sure it's less than 10 millimeters, which is the cutoff for the size of where that urine collects in the kidneys after delivery, okay? So all in all, like the case pearl says, fetal renal issues or polyxis usually resolves by the third trimester, okay? Only 10% don't. So a follow-up evaluation should be expected and you should expect serial follow-up scans after that to keep looking at the kidneys. And if they become grossly abnormal, meaning over seven millimeters in size, or there's little cysts anywhere on the kidneys, then you also need to see a pediatric urologist before the baby is delivered, okay? I know that's a long-winded way to say, they're just gonna monitor you with ultrasounds and make sure you have fluid around this baby because that's really what they're gonna do. But the plan is to get, the urologist on board before the baby's delivered so that everyone is aware of what's going on and the need for imaging of the baby's kidneys after the delivery. Case pearl is fetal renal issues like polyxis usually resolved by the third trimester. Follow-up for further evaluation should be expected. Okay, medical intern, what's our second case for today? Our second case is a 23-year-old who is 18 weeks pregnant with her second child. She was told that her quad screen was abnormal and that her baby was at high risk for Down syndrome. Her ultrasound was normal. She was sent for further evaluation. In this situation, quad screens are reserved for low risk patients that don't have a high risk of having babies with chromosomal abnormalities. And it looks like she is probably that person, right? She's younger than 35. So she's an optimal candidate. She doesn't have any other medical problems. Now, the latest guidelines say even low-risk patients can have a non-invasive prenatal screening test or what's abbreviated as NIPS, or some people say NIPS. The NIPS test placental cells that flake off and enter the mom circulation. So it's a little bit more accurate because it's literally trying to detect extra placental chromosomes on number 21, 18, and 13. So it's testing the placenta for Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome, and Patel syndrome. Okay, which are extra copies, again, of number 21 chromosome, number 18 chromosome, and number 13 chromosome. That test is between, is 92% sensitive for an extra copy of number 13 chromosome, is 98% sensitive for an extra copy of the number 18 chromosome, and is 99.2% sensitive for an extra copy of the number 21 chromosome or Down syndrome. So quads lack sensitivity. It's just a hormone test. Okay, so if the dates were a little bit off, that could throw off the results of the test. If you don't have like pitch perfect hormone levels, then that could throw off results of the test. So the quad screen is a good screening test, but there is a higher false positive rate because it's trying to cast a net over all the negatives and it's or over all the positives. And so it sometimes gets some of the negatives in the positive net. So that's how screening test works. They have to sometimes capture more than they really need to in order to be an effective screening test. 
So with the quad screen, it's only about 87% sensitive for detection of Down syndrome. Only about 87%. So whenever I have somebody that has an abnormal quad screen, I then first do a history to make sure there's nothing in the family that would make me think that you are somebody that has a what's called balanced chromosomal issue that can then be passed down to the baby. Then I would also do an ultrasound to look at the baby from head to toe to see if there are any markers for Down syndrome. So we look for several different markers that say, hey, this, this baby looks like a Down syndrome baby. So we look for the thickness on the back of the baby's neck. If it's more than uh, six millimeters, that puts you at a higher risk for having a baby with a chromosomal abnormality. We look for uh, any type of structural defect like cleft lip, cleft palate. Um, or a heart defect or a brain defect. We look for all of that. We look for defects in the in the bowel, like the bowel being outside of the body. We look for evidence of club feet or sandal gap, meaning a gap between toe number one and two. So the big toe and you know what would be called the pointer toe. We're looking for a sandal gap there as a soft a soft marker or a marker that there could be something more chromosomally wrong. We look for a bright spot in the heart called an echogenic focus. Um, that's a bright spot that's on one of the muscles in the heart. It doesn't flake off and go anywhere, and it actually gets lighter and lighter through the pregnancy. And most of the time, we can't even see it by the time you deliver. It does not affect heart function. But if we see it in combination with another marker, then we tell you at high risk, and we recommend that you get screened. Of course, if you have a baby that does have a defect, even if one defect, they will offer you at least a non-invasive prenatal screen or what I said, the placental cells that flake off into your circulation. They will probe for chromosome abnormalities from those that sample, that blood sample, and tell you if it's abnormal. You will also be offered a genetic amniocentesis even if the baby looks completely normal on ultrasound. That's, for some reason, that freaks people out. They automatically think, we must be lying if we're offering you a genetic amniocentesis. And amniocentesis is when we insert a needle into the uterus, we withdraw fluid around the baby and we send it off for the baby's genetic makeup. That way we know if a baby has something like this, like Down syndrome or not, so that you can make some decisions going forward with your pregnancy. But even if we see everything normal, it's our obligation to at least mention, hey, there's a better test, okay? Because like I said, the, the blood work, is 99.2% sensitive to detect those three most common chromosomal abnormalities. But it's not perfect and, and it cannot tell baby cells versus placental cells. The only way to know that we're testing the baby cells is to do an amniocentesis, okay? So if I see a lot of anomalies, I'm going to encourage my patient to get a genetic amniocentesis, especially if their non-invasive prenatal screen was already negative because there could be something more going on than just those three things that you are screened with by the blood tests. But just rest assured that I get sent so many quads that are abnormal because the dates are off or the weight was off or you know the age was off on the test. All of those things matter. And so sometimes we look through it and we have them recalculated. Most often we will offer you what's called that non-invasive prenatal screen, which is the blood test that also tells the baby's gender but it's going to screen you for those three most common things with very high sensitivity. And then if you want to be very definitive, then you have to do a genetic amniocentesis or wait until after the baby is delivered for you to know 
what the baby has or does not have. So the case pearl for this case is a quad is just a hormone test. Further genetic screening is recommended in this setting and decisions about your pregnancy should not be made based on the quad screen alone. All right, medical intern, what's our last case? This one is an email question and it says, Dr. Plenty, I was told that something was wrong with my baby's heart. I had normal genetic screening. The size of the baby was normal. And so are all of the other organs. My maternal fetal medicine doctor states that he thinks that my baby has what's called tetralogy of flow. Is that a dangerous diagnosis? And how common is it? Tetralogy of flow is actually, I don't want to say it's dangerous or not dangerous. So they have big vessels that carry blood either to the lung called the pulmonary vein, or you have, you should be the pulmonary artery, or you have blood carried to the rest of the body called the aortic arch, okay, or the aorta. The aorta, if it overrides the middle portion of the heart, so it's going to take blood from the left and the right side of the heart, it also overrides a hole in the heart, and your pulmonary, uh, your pulmonary artery is smaller than your aorta, that by definition is going to be a tetralogy of flow. It's a very common diagnosis of the heart defects to make. It's also very fixable. Okay. You get in a danger when you don't know about these heart defects before the pregnancy happens because the fetal circulation or the shunting of blood that's outside of bypassing most of the lungs and things like that, that shunt closes at about three to five days of life. And so you go home two to three days after the baby is delivered. So you could be getting into a situation where you're like, I believe it was Jimmy Kimmel that had um, a baby with tetralogy of below. Okay. You could get into a situation where your baby is not breathing and not oxygenating well, and the blood's not circulating well, when a baby's home a day or two. That is what gets babies in danger with this type of diagnosis. But if we know ahead of time, then we can arrange for a cardiologist to see the baby. You can get seen by the pediatric surgeons, um, the pediatric CT surgeons, cardiothoracic surgeons, so that we know ahead of time and we can devise a plan, okay? So tetralogy of flow with nothing else going on is a very survivable diagnosis, So is it dangerous? It's dangerous when it's not diagnosed. It is survivable when it is, okay? It's not something that will require immediate intervention. If you are somebody that delivers full term, you should still be able to see and hold your baby briefly, um, but your baby will get a surgery initially before the baby goes home. And then you can anticipate another surgery a little while later, to do the second repair. So tetralogy of is usually repaired in either two surgeries or three, depending on everything specifically that's going on. And if anything else is going on with the baby, that would dictate how many surgeries the baby has and how long a baby would be in the NICU. But this is not a sentence that is a death sentence. These babies do survive. Um, I've diagnosed quite a bit of tetralogies and All of them so far have done very well. Babies that have congenital heart defects can tend to get into trouble if they have what's called anomalous pulmonary venous return, meaning 
the blood doesn't enter the heart, return to the heart like it normally would. There's like collateral flow that's allowing the blood to return to the heart. Those can be a little bit more uh, challenging cases. Um, but again, survivability can still happen depending on if there's anything else going on with the baby, as long as we know and we can plan for it. Realize planning is key. Okay, let's not worry about how dangerous or not dangerous something is. Hey, what's the plan is what you should be asking. What's the plan for my baby? This is what this doctor said. They'll send you to a fetal center to get a second opinion. That's very common for maternal fetal medicine doctors to do. If they touch and agree, then we know you really do have a tetralogy of fallot. And most of the time we're diagnosing that and then sending you to for a second opinion to pediatric cardiologists so that they can confirm that diagnosis. And they usually do a little bit more detail work. Hey, where are the veins? Hey, do we have collateral flow here? Hey, what's the function of the heart? They sometimes take that extra step to get a more detailed view and to figure out what exactly is going on with the function of the heart. And they will help devise a plan with you between themselves and the cardiothoracic surgeon. So to answer your question in short, is it dangerous? No, not if we know about it. We can intervene. We can get the baby safely through. Your biggest risk is going to be whether the baby is going to be born early or not. If you have no other risk factors, I would anticipate that the baby would be born still full time, even with a tetralogy of below. And so not dangerous, but we need to know about it. And how common? It's one of the more common heart defects that we see. So it's not going to be like this is somebody's first rodeo and operating on your baby. This is a well-known, these are well-known procedures to treat this type of diagnosis and realize that you are not alone in this battle and realize that this is very, very fixable, mom. Definitely very fixable. All right. I think that's all of our cases for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've learned more about how to handle getting unexpected news. If you enjoy the show, make sure to share me with your friends, rate and comment. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at Pregnancy underscore Pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. You can also feel free to check out some of the quick talks on the YouTube channel and go ahead and visit the website, drnicoleplenty.com for your free pregnancy downloadables. And I have to say, because a patient said, you should have told people that you have the prenatal checklist. There's a prenatal checklist on the website. And there's also a what to expect at each one of your prenatal visits, right? So, hey, between this week and this gestation, these are the things that should happen. So those downloadables are there as well. So please use them at your leisure. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific 
specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.